0: Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifarus galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the Albino Hills and south of the raging Leucistic River, comes the one, the only Gecko Nation Radio.
1: evening, Gecko and Reptile Enthusiasts. Tonight is April 6th, 2014, and right off the bat, I just want to thank everyone that was so kind to send me messages today for my birthday. Um, I don't know. Wow. I must got 100 PMs today, and everybody in the group, very gracious of you all uh, for, for wishing me a, a great day, and it was a fantastic day today. Today was the New York uh, Reptile Expo. Um, And, you know, I kind of went into the show today with mixed feelings about how the turnout would be. And it was actually a slower show. There wasn't a lot of people. Uh, But, however, people were buying geckos. Uh, People, you know, I were walking around with gecko purchases. Um, I sold a lot of geckos. Everybody that bought geckos for me, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. And keep me posted on how well they do for you. I always like to hear about them down the line and –
2: you know, see what they do in your
1: projects. It's always it's uh, just great to, to know that, you know, our hard work as breeders uh, goes on to help you in your projects and what you do. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, we're passing on our legacy in a way. And when you guys start breeding, well, for all you new hobbyists out there that are, are beginning to decide to breed geckos or any reptile or any animal, uh, there is a sense of pride that you start developing when you take your work seriously and you uh, and you do it well. And uh, when you see other people um, expanding on what you, you know, worked so hard for, uh, you can't help but feel feel happy and proud. So, give it a shot if you have that dream, that ambition for it, um, and, and definitely get somebody else involved. It's it's so much fun. I see the chat room's filling up pretty fast. We have a lot of guests in there. I see Elsa, Chad, Landon, Sean, Heavy Duty Reptiles, Soft Kitty, Mike Preston, Brooke. Uh, Wow, everybody's filling up fast, about 15 people. Uh, Tonight, uh, we have Steve Sykes of Geckos, etc. And if you guys don't know who Steve is, you've been living under a rock, that's for sure. Uh, Living under a rock in the Middle East with a bunch of leopard geckos, probably. Because uh, Steve, let me tell you, he has probably one of the most diverse leopard gecko collections uh, on the planet. In fact, I don't know what morph he doesn't have. And uh, they're incredible. And Steve is known worldwide now. He's been he's been keeping and breeding reptiles for 18 years. All right. So uh, we're going to hit on a bunch of different topics uh, topics with Steve tonight. I want to ask him about his morphs, uh, his projects, his husbandry methods. I want to talk to him about his experiences abroad, and uh, especially what it's like meeting new hobbyists in different countries. Because he does a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, you're always seeing and posting pictures of his travels. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to hear some about that. Uh, But before we get started and before we get into our interview, I want to uh, mention that uh, Gecko Nation Radio, of course, would not be possible without its amazing sponsors. And we love our sponsors, folks, big time. Check them out.
0: Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Geckos creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from ExoTerra, ZooMed, Rapashi, RepCal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 premium insect chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 premium insect chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. They're also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. Ohio gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at Expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforms.net. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit ReptilesExpress.com and become a member today. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies.
1: Okay, everybody, we are back. I'd like to also mention at this time two things. Number one, Herpentine Radio and Gecko Nation Radio are affiliates. So that means we promote each other. And um, I love Time Radio. In fact, Herpentine Radio was my inspiration to start my radio career. And they do such a great job, and they have such a diverse uh, uh, array of topics. And, in fact, they just had Marty Stauffer from Wild America. Wild America with Marty Stauffer. I mean, today the content is just isn't the, as good as it used to be as far as nature shows go. When we lost Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter, uh, and one of these other guys just kind of retired, it's just, it isn't the same as you guys know. So uh, check out the, the Marty Stauffer show, and if you can find online some of the old episodes that he did, uh, they're timeless. Uh, they They're just done so well. And uh, these are the things that a lot of us grew up on. I'm sure uh, Steve Sykes has watched those shows, too, and we'll talk about that as well. Um, now, also, I want to mention to everybody that tonight's show is going to be focused on geckos. I do want to talk a little bit about his hognose Snakes project that he's working on, but uh, I just want to remind everybody that's tuning into the show for the first time, or um, maybe you're tuning into this show years from now, uh, and I hope this is still going strong, but right now, If you are a hardcore gecko enthusiast, you need to go here.
0: Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums.
1: That's right, everybody. You know it. We are proud. And I saw I saw a fad today of Ohio Gecko at the show. It was really cool. I saw... Michelle from Rampant Reptiles, Matt from Sassobeck, uh a few other people. Just uh, just another great show, seeing a lot of good people in the community there. So it was a lot of fun. All right, folks, we're not going to waste any more time. But uh, one quick thing I want to mention to everybody, Steve Sykes is being gracious enough to offer a 20% off uh, c- uh, credit for our nightly raffle. So that means uh, for, for the guys that have the bravery and the courage to call in with their questions or comments tonight, uh, you guys will be entered into our raffle. And you guys know how it works. Tomorrow uh, in the Gecko Nation group, I will post uh, the raffle results. It will be a video that I'll tape of the names in a random uh, name picker, okay? And it's totally random and legit, so whoever name comes out is going to get that 20% off credit. If you are a child, you're going to have to have your parents' permission, okay, and it's good towards one purchase only. All right, so um, let's not waste any more time, and let's go ahead and grab Steve. Steve Sykes from Geckos, etc. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Great, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, it's, it's yes, yeah, Steve. It's an honor to speak with you. I got to tell you, that as a as an up and coming greeter myself, um, like you, and and your work especially is something that I look up to, and I know a lot of other people out there are going to be able to agree with
2: me on that. Uh, you do an
1: excellent job, and I really admire your collection.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, um, this interview tonight is—I is, I, kind of get a little bit nervous talking to people like you because you know you guys have really come so far, and it's—I I know a lot of you guys are very approachable, and um, you know I, I, how how do you feel about people that are new in the hobby, and uh, do they ever like ask you for autographs and stuff like that? <laughs> well it, it it's interesting I mean
3: yes, i well, I can think of maybe a handful of times in the u s that I've been asked to give autographs um a few times in Europe, but when I go to Japan uh, for the reptile show there um man i, I it's 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 crazy uh, it's it's uh, you know it's humbling, but it's it's just unbelievable. Uh, two years ago, there was a gecko book that was published in Japan, and it had a full page picture of me holding a bell blazing blizzard and uh, Mm -hmm. you know certainly that was a key to promotion of of me in japan you know we are we're definitely well known in japan um you know we've been in uh, a bunch of the japanese reptile magazines as well um over the years and uh you know certainly it, it when i go to japan uh i'm signing autographs like crazy everyone wants to take pictures with me um it's just uh it's it's amazing uh, the response that I get when I go to Japan.
1: That's cool. And, you know, I mean, I'm getting a small taste of that now only because of the radio show and, and my gecko mm-hmm. stuff and YouTube. But it's, it's just a weird feeling. I, I would think, though, that if there is a celebrity circuit for gecko people and gecko breeders, you know, you're in it. I mean, you, Ron Tremper, and, and people like you guys, uh, this, you're celebrities now. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> people all around the world recognize you as such. Right? Yeah, well, it it it's, it's funny in that
3: in that you know I never really tried for that to happen. I just you know did you know I just do what I do and do what I love and you know push hard at it every day and just do my best and and that's you know it, it's what it turned into. So, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know it's it's uh, kind of crazy to me at times just to
4: kind of realize
3: you know it, you know where where. I've come, I mean, certainly I, you know, I started off just like every other hobbyist. I mean, I remember getting my first leopard geckos. Um, that was 18 years ago. I got my first leopard geckos, um, and I I was, uh, I got them out of a classified ad in the, from the back of Reptiles magazine. Um, I was working at a camp at a, at the time as a nature instructor, and they had, I, I was, uh, I had a nature lodge where I kept all my animals, and it was, you know, mainly my own personal reptiles that I was keeping and they gave me like $500 to spend on the care of the animals for the summer and coming close to the end of the summer, I was running, uh, you know, near the end of the time I needed to use that money and I still have a little bit of money left. So they said, ah, we wanted to get some leopard geckos. Let's get some. And, you know, I can call it a camp expense. So I, you know, this, this camp I was working for actually paid for these geckos for me and I used them as a, an educational program there. And, uh, you know, it, 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 that was the start for me. So, I mean, at one point I started off at nothing, um, you know, and, and just kind of built from there. And, you know, we had some good purchases over the years. We had some bad purchases over the years and you know, and I think that happens to everyone as they build their collection. Um, but, uh, you know, it just, just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, it, it, it worked out well for us. And, you know, it's, I never really intended to be a full-time gecko breeder, You know, I was in graduate school um, at the University of California, Santa Barbara, where I was studying ecology and zoology, um, you know, know, and herpetology was my main focus. I was studying endangered uh, California tiger salamanders for my field research and just, you know, breeding geckos. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was great. Um, I was breeding geckos and, you know, it's kind of... Uh, you know, I, I, my intent always was to be an environmental consultant, which I also I do that work on the side. Um, and, you know, but, you know, the gecko business just kind of exploded and it just ended up that there was no other, no other option for me to become a full-time gecko breeder. And then, you know, we started off breeding animals in our house. And, well, I guess it, when I was in graduate school, it was a corner of my bedroom. And then, you know, eventually filled the bedroom and I had to move my bed out and I went and slept at my wife's house uh, every night, or she was a girlfriend at the time, but didn't have room for my bed anymore because I had too many geckos, so that was just a gecko room. Uh, so oh, every night awesome. before I went to bed, I had to get in my car and drive over to her house and sneak in the back door and go to bed. <laughs> and uh, eventually we got a house that's together. And
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, that was, it's, it's fun to look back at those times and, you know, see where we were. Um and uh anyway we had one you know we got a house together uh where it was just the two of us and you know i I had two rooms that were you know going to be just for animals and i thought that was fantastic and uh, eventually those two filled up very quickly um you know i had to i had to move the incubators out and keep them in the bedroom and so anyway that was that was uh that was kind of nice i could wake up roll out of bed and check the incubators and see what hatched overnight but uh, eventually we filled that house, and then we moved. That was in Southern California. Then we moved to Northern California and got a nice big house. And, you know, I thought, all right, this is great. I'm never, never going to need more space than this. And, you know, it was two bedrooms, and then eventually spilled into the living room, the dining room, converted the garage into an insulated room. Um, that all got completely filled. We were eventually going down the hallways. Uh, it was just, <laughs> it was getting intense. Uh, so we, we bought a uh, commercial warehouse. Um, in, I guess that was what, 2007? Um, and, you know, I remember when we got that, we said, there is no way we're ever going to fill this. This is huge. And uh, that's, that wasn't the case. <laughs> we filled that up, and in two, late 2012, we bought our second uh, warehouse, which actually is the right next door to our first warehouse. So actually they even share a common wall. So we just cut a doorway through the, the wall, and, uh, you know, we have double the, the size. Um, so that's, that's worked out. You know, we have, I think it's about 6,400 square feet right now. Um, wow, a warehouse yeah. space and then with, you know, I keep some animals at my house, not too much. I'm trying to lessen the animals at my house. Um, kind of, you know, it, it, uh, keep most of the, the stuff at the building. So my employees are able to help me and, uh, you know, make sure everything gets done, especially if I'm running around mm-hmm. busy, you know, I don't want anything to be overlooked. Hm. So. Wow.
1: That sounds like, uh, it's a, You know, it's kind of like a, a self-evolving thing, especially like I'm just seeing it at my level. I mean, I'm nowhere near where you are, of course, and I, I really don't have aspirations to get huge. But I see that <laughs> when you start getting – well, I'm sure you said the same thing. But
2: um,
1: I see that like as your projects grow, you, you feel like – like I'm at the point right now, Steve, where I have all these great projects, and to, to, to stop now and to give up on them would be just a
2: complete –
1: the waste of all this work I've been doing over the last three years, so or four years, mm-hmm. actually. So now, so what happens is, right, so the collection gets bigger, and it's like you're kind of forced to grow. You're kind of forced to become a business because you can't hold on to all the babies. You have to sell them in order to keep going, mm-hmm. and it's just, you, you, you're you, just destined to become a gecko-breeding business. It's just, you know, it just happens, right? Definitely.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is, it is tough to make that, uh, transition from being a, a small scale breeder in your house to you know kind of a, a next level up where you have a, a building that's independent of your house i mean obviously that adds a lot of expense it adds a lot of extra hassles i mean and then when you when you know when you start adding employees into the mix it gets a lot more difficult and i mean it, it's it's uh that's kind of what I, I've had a lot more of that stuff to deal with. You know, my employees get to deal with a lot more of the fun things than I do. You know, I don't really get to deal with the, the care. Uh, I mean, I oversee everything, and, I mean, I, I've been blessed with some fantastic employees that, that, you know, know what they're doing, you know, how to how – you know, basically, you know, we, I've trained them, and then, uh, you know, they train each other, and, you know, they just become able to function on the same level as I would – you know, so it it uh, it works out really well. You know, I've got a great team, and and they really do a great job with with keeping everything going.
2: Wow, so, but sure it's, a it's a certainly you
3: know, machine. It, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it definitely adds more a lot more hassles. Of uh, you know, I guess we've been lucky we haven't had any workman's comp issues to deal with, but unemployment claims and taxes, and you know all, all the you know employees just having issues or disagreements or uh, you know, those sorts of things that, you know, deal with just kind of are not, you know, the, the, the not-so-fun side of being at the level uh, that I'm at where we're having just so much going on. You know, it's, it's great to have a lot of geckos, but certainly, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly something to be said for keeping it on a smaller level and, and keeping, keeping it to be more fun and less business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I have people that rely on me. I have to meet payroll. I have to meet expenses. I have to pay the mortgage. You know, it it was You know, so I have to push on. You know, there is no. You know, like, you know what? I just feel like going on vacation for a while and just kind of stepping back. No, it, that's that's not an option. You know, when when right. you push to this level, but um, it's it's good. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, it, it's. I've heard it said that you know there's 24 hours in a day. You sleep eight hours, you work eight hours, and you play eight hours.
2: And if your
3: if your if your work is also play, then you get to play that much more. So, you know, for me, <laughs> right. I work really hard. I mean, I basically wake up in the morning and, and I'm, you know, grab my coffee and I'm answering emails and posting animals on the website and, you know, dealing with various things. Um, you know, and I do that until the moment I go to bed. And that's, that's my normal routine. That's what I do on a daily basis, seven days a week. Um, but I, I love it. So I don't consider it work. You know, it's it's I, I'm I'm my own boss. I dictate my own schedule. I figure out what I'm going to do every day. You know, I prioritize what needs to be done. Um, you know, I can delegate things to my employees to get things done. Um, you know, it's just it's what I love to do, and I wouldn't have it any other
1: way. Sounds like it sounds like yes, you're on your way to living the gecko ultimate dream. It
2: seems <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> I I know there's yeah. I know you know from from being in retail business and. I have, an experience, I have experienced that, and as an insurance fraud investigator, a workman's comp investigator—that's what I used to do full-time. Workman's um, comp I investigator. Under- Interesting. Yes, yeah, so I used to do huh. that. I used to do surveillance on. I used to do surveillance on people that the insurance company thought were fraudulent. Uh, you know, huh. like filing fraudulent claims. However, hmm. uh, upon investigation, a lot of these people were, were legitimate. I mean, of course. I would, I would say most of the people filing workman's comp claims are legitimately hurt, but there are some that, you know, run these scams. And, uh, you know, of course, that's the Definitely. flip side of that job. You, you you help either prove people's innocence or you prove them guilty. But, uh, so right. I understand that as well. I, I, and, that's, and I'll tell you, Steve, I don't envy that part of it, and I hope that, you know, I don't, I don't see myself getting to that point where I'm going to have to worry about those things. I'm having too much <laughs> fun with the radio show and breeding the geckos, and you know what? Tonight let's keep it fun for you and let's not talk about the business stuff I think. Let's let's sure. talk about <laughs> what you know, what we all love in this. And um well at this time we're gonna go transition into the news segment and let me just explain okay. to you how it works. Um we're gonna bring Steve on. Steve is our esteemed anchor man and he's gonna give us several news stories. One of those news stories is, is fake. It's a it's a made up story. So at the end of that if the end of his uh his uh, stories, we're going to get a chance to guess at which story is the fake story. And then people in the chat room get to participate in this. Um, And once we get past that, then he's going to give us a, uh, basically a story from, from the past. He calls it the Herp History story. It's really interesting. I love his Herp History segment because these are stories going way back of different reptile related news articles and stuff that he finds and digs up. So, uh, it's pretty, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, Let's go ahead and grab Steve.
5: Good evening, Gaconians.
1: Hey, Steve. How are you?
5: Good. How are you?
1: Doing good. <laughs> good seeing you at the at the expo today. Thanks for coming. No,
5: uh, thank you. I had a great time.
1: Wow. You know what a what a good show, wasn't it?
5: Oh yeah, yeah. I loved it.
1: Yeah. We're sure closer, but
5: <laughs> oh, What
1: do you think about? I... Does he have ama-
5: amazing, amazing, stuff? amazing collection? Amazing. I can I tell you. Know um, one thing that caught my eye was the earless monitor. I saw a picture of one that that you were holding, Steve. Those things. Oh, okay. They look awesome. I never saw yep. one until I was checking out your website.
3: Yeah, well, actually, that wasn't. It was an animal that was mine. Um, when I was holding that, that was in Japan. Um, that was at the facility of uh, the uh, Japan Reptile Show promoter. Um, his name is Shirawa, and uh, he has a, a zoo, a reptile zoo, in uh, Japan um, called Izu, Uh it's Izu, but they call it Izu. Um, but anyway, he he. Uh, it's a soup. I mean, from a herpetological standpoint, that is just the holy grail. I mean, yeah. that is that's something, yeah. you know, I've, I mean, obviously I've, I've been interested in reptiles, you know, I mean, I've been keeping reptiles ever since I was four. I've, I've always been interested in reptiles. But um, anyway, you know, that's something you, you know, I learned about those when I was teaching herpetology. I was a, a TA uh, for herpetology in graduate school. Um, and we talk about earless monitors and it's, it's kind of the uh, you know, it's a it's a primitive monitor is what it is. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, Anyway, certainly nothing I ever expected that I would be holding in my hand one day. But, uh, you know, we're setting up for the Japan Reptile Show and the promoter comes over to the table and says, hey, you want to go see the Eos Monitor? I go, cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I
3: that up. I had, you know, people would ask, oh, you want to go out to dinner tonight? It's like, oh, no, 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 we're going to see the Eos Monitor.
2: I will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm kind of
1: yeah. jealous of uh, I'm jealous of Steve in the picture where he's holding that the uh the Moloch.
2: Yes, the yep, that, was devil. that was
3: also in Japan. That was actually at the same place. Um, that was uh, you know it, it was every year at the Japan Reptile Show. They have a um, kind of a the, the special animal guest. Um, they also have a special celebrity guest. Um, but anyway, they, uh, every year it's different. And for that particular year, it was the Moloch. And uh, anyway, that was, uh, you know, I was checking it out during the show, but then after the show, um, we went to the uh, promoter's facility, and they said, hey, you want to hold it? (laughs) Okay, can't pass out. So uh, anyway, certainly really, really cool. Uh, Yeah. Amazing animal.
5: Definitely.
1: Um, All right, Steve, Uh, what do you got for us tonight?
5: So we're going to start out with... Bad news I have, I'm have. i not sure I have any good news here uh, no, no. Uh, Not really <laughs> Alright The owner and former manager Of Lake Elsinore Exotic Which is in California Where thousands of dead Or dying rats And reptiles were found In disgusting conditions Following an undercover investigation By animal rights activists pleaded guilty to animal cruelty Thursday, April 3rd. Mitchell Stephen Bem, the owner of Global Captive Breeders, admitted to a dozen misdemeanor accounts. David Delgado, the former manager, pleaded guilty to a dozen felony accounts as part of an agreement, but they were originally charged with, let's see, more than 100 counts of each felony animal cruelty originally so they got it reduced down to excuse me let's see down to i think it was 30 counts wow. but
4: yeah That's it was terrible
5: yeah it was from the sounds of it, it was horrible. It says there was animal control officials who began investigation, investigating global captive breeders in December 2012, wrote in court documents that more than 18,000 rats and hundreds of reptiles found at the business experienced long-term neglect, suffering, and cruel deaths.
2: Jeez. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's terrible.
2: That's yeah, that's I remember hearing horrible.
1: about this I remember hearing about this when they first got um I guess busted so to speak, where, you know, it, it made news, but I you know, I guess now it's a time where they're actually uh getting their sentences, that's uh interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's a case of people that I guess took on more than they could handle and uh weren't doing it correctly and uh when animals suffer, uh it's never a good thing. Never a good thing.
5: Nope. All right. All right. An enormous crocodile believed to have killed and eaten four people from a Ugandan village has been caught. The one-ton killer croc was captured by Uganda wildlife authorities, officials following a four-day hunt. It was trapped with a meat and hook... The giant reptile is believed to have killed at least four fishermen along the shores of Lake Vic- Victoria and maimed several others. The crocodile, believed to be 80 years old, was transferred to Ber- Murchison Falls National Park. So that's cool they didn't kill it. Well, a lot of times they just end up dead. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that's a pretty cool story. I mean, unfortunate for the fishermen, I guess, but... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. And this is kind of scary. In Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, a crew from the Eddiston Island Serpentarium is heading out to an apartment complex near the Cooper River Bridge starting line searching for what could be a highly venomous snake. Now, they're looking for a gaboon viper. They found shed shed skin that they believe belongs to a gaboon viper. If it was someone's pet, Police said the owner was breaking town ordinance which states it shall be unlawful for any person to keep, maintain, or have in his or her possession or control with, within the town any poisonous reptile. So they're they're looking for, you know, and this is in a, an apartment complex. So they've the shed for, skin
1: of a, of a Gaboon Viper.
5: Yeah, of a Gaboon wow. Viper. Okay.
1: Oh, well, maybe somebody... Has one, and they, you know, let let this they threw this skin outside perhaps, and it, you know, blew away, blew blew around in the wind. Maybe there's not one loose. You know, there could be
5: another flip side to the story. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully, you know? <laughs> hopefully, okay. yeah, hopefully the snake's in there. You know, the owner's got the snake, and he's just laughing his butt off about them. <laughs> you know, trying to find it. Jeez, but.
1: yeah, causing a panic.
5: Yeah. All right. And then in Little Rock, Mississippi, a man was was charged with releasing his boa constrictor outside his house after a neighbor turned him in. He just let it loose, and he is facing $500 in fines, and the snake was recovered.
2: Okay.
5: So that was okay. Little Rock, Mississippi. Okay. Then... This one, oh, I do have a good story. Forgot about this one. <laughs> Firefighters, firefighter rescues snake from house fire. A <clears throat> firefighter put, put his reptile handling experience to good use when he rescued a seven-foot boa constrictor from a burning house in western Michigan. Firefighter Scott Hamelbach told a local newspaper that he reluctantly agreed to enter the smoke filled house Sunday night to retrieve the pet snake a female named Chocolate Chit. the firefighter said he learned how to handle snakes in the wild or in the wildlife classes he had taken in high school, which I wish they had wildlife classes when I was in school <laughs> but they never had anything right? like that no. I wish they you know they should. Well, we had uh, shows like
1: Marty Stauffer and and
5: uh, you know stuff like yeah. that. Wild America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And the the firefighter said I would do it for any creature. I'm just glad it had a happy ending. So that's cool. That's cool. Definitely. That's yeah. that's probably our, our best story of the night. All right. And our our okay. last our last story is snake on a train. <laughs> a Swiss <laughs> a Swiss train was evacuated after a snake somehow slithered its way on board during rush hour. More than 450 passengers were ordered off the train Wednesday morning <laughs> after terrified passengers spotted the foot-and-a-half-long serpent inside the carriage. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah search the entire train for the reptile before catching it in a ventilation shaft they <laughs> they then identified the sneaky intruder as being a non-venomous black garter snake it's not clear how the snake made it on board but it's believed it was brought on by a passenger
1: sam uh, jackson must have been on that train
5: <laughs> i was thinking that <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst Uh movies ever made but
1: (laughs) I know Alright what's the recap
5: Okay the recap is Plea deal in rat and reptile abuse Killer croc caught Hunt for gaboon viper Man charged for releasing boa Firefighter saves snake And snake on a train
1: Okay. All right. I'm watching the chat room, everybody. What, which one of, the, of these stories do you think is false? And, of course, we'll give the first crack at it to our guest. Steve Sykes, which of those stories do you think is the false story?
4: Hmm.
3: Well, um, let's say Either Hunt for Gaboon or Sneak on a Train. Um, <laughs> we'll go Hunt for Gaboon.
1: I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say the Gaboon Viper one. Uh, but then again, The Snake on the Train, uh, yeah, that one. That one's just kind of sitting in my head. All right, I'm going to be different than Steve. I'm going to go with Snakes, The Snake on the Train, because that may be the sequel to uh, Snakes on a Plane. Um, okay, that's the one I'm going to go with. That would be an with. absolutely <laughs>
3: awful movie, Snake on the Train.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um. All right. Somebody. A lot of people are saying the Gaboon viper story, and uh, let's see. Oh, okay. Somebody says that the snake on the train is true. He read it somewhere. All right. So I lost. All right. right. What is the false <laughs> story, Steve?
5: The false story, and I can't believe anybody didn't guess it was the man releasing the boa. Huh.
2: Ah. Okay. <laughs> That's you
5: know, the false ex- story.
1: You, we hear that so much today, you know, it's like, well, yeah, yeah all right, another guy did it, Yeah? You
2: know? Yeah. All
1: right. <laughs> well, but you know,
2: what
1: I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I don't know, I am a little worried about the Gaboon Viper thing, though.
5: Yeah, yeah.
1: Where was that again? What town in state? That
5: was, let me go back through here. That was in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Okay.
1: It is kind of a. You know what? But South Carolina still gets cold, so I'm guessing that you know it may not it may not survive uh, too long. I don't know. I don't know that much about their 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 climate so either. So I may be wrong, but I, I would think that aren't they from a more uh, you know hot climate? Um,
2: they
1: Would you, you happen to know where they're from, native?
3: I mean, they're they're African. African. I think. Um, yeah. You know, I don't. I don't know exactly what the climate is there, but I. I mean, I would assume it's quite warm, but I don't know what their cold tolerance would be.
2: hmm
0: Yeah. All
2: right.
0: Interesting.
1: All right, I'm gonna to try to look into that. Maybe we could follow up with that story and yeah. maybe get some more. Maybe get some more info next time. All right, cool. Um, I'm hearing a little bit of a noise coming, and that is.
5: history All right. July 19th, 1930 in Rochester, New York at the Seabreeze Park Amusement Park. After a night behind door locked doors with more than the, the usual caution, residents of the Lakeside community of Seabreeze took up the search today for a 200-pound, 20-foot Indian python which escaped yesterday from the reptile exhibit of Edward Hayes Seabreeze Park. And a 100 men led by police and deputy sheriffs beat the, the brush and woods in the vicinity of the park and rumors that the disappearance of the huge snake said to be one of the largest in captivity was staged as a publicity stunt is not true. So I'm going to leave it at that because they didn't find it then. So I'm going to continue. I'm going to leave you hanging on the conclusion of what happened to that python. And I'll tell you next week on a a moment in herp history what happened to that python.
1: Awesome. Okay, cool. That's
5: interesting. And that, again, that was July nineteenth, nineteen thirty. Nineteen
1: thirty. Okay. All right. Very good. Now, Steve, I know you've you had a long day today. Four hours there and back to the show. Um, you yeah. probably want to get to sleep. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming today, and thank you for your work on the news, of course. Um, uh, why don't you give out your information, or if you have anything else you want to say, um, uh, go
5: ahead. Actually, uh Steve, are you looking forward to the Godzilla movie?
3: <laughs>
5: Coming definitely. up.
3: I'll be sure to check it out. <laughs>
5: yeah. Cool. I figured. I figured you were a Godzilla fan.
3: I uh, definitely, yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was a great
1: video that you put together for me.
5: Oh, you're very welcome. Love
1: the sound effects.
2: Yeah. Definitely I knew exactly, I know exactly <laughs> yeah. what
1: it was for. Maybe that yeah. may have gone over some people's heads, but anybody that knows Steve's work and, you know, knows what, you know, he's breeding over there would have caught that. But I like that subtle <laughs> thing. That's yeah. awesome. Good, great job, of course, Steve.
5: Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you.
1: All right, cool. Give um, out your information for everybody.
5: Check me out on Facebook and YouTube under BC Barker Creations.
1: Awesome. All right, and we will see you again next week.
5: All right, I'll see you there. Take care. You guys have a good.
1: Take care. All right, we are going to get into the full interview with Mr. Steve Sykes. And um, wow, we have so much to cover, Steve. Um uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> what do you think's a good place to start? I'll leave it up to you. I'm ready. Okay. I'm am thinking we are, You were kind of talking a little bit about your your experiences in Japan, and um, you know I, that's some place I would just love to see. Just, to, just well, could you tell us a little bit about these Japan shows and what you've seen there, and what the atmosphere is like, and what are the people like? Sure. Well, you know I've I've been to
3: reptile shows. You know, Japan, Germany, uh, you know, all over the U.S. I even did a, a – last year I did a reptile event in Korea, um, and they don't have reptile shows in Korea that are, you know, kind of all-exclusive reptile shows like they do in the U.S. Um, they have, you know, pet shows where reptiles are just, you know, one of the the animals that are – or one of the types of animals that are included there. But um, anyway, so I, I've certainly had a lot of fun experiences at all these shows. Um, you know, and there, there definitely are some clear differences between the U.S. shows and – uh you know shows in other places um and and actually i mean I, uh, you know one one complaint i've heard a lot recently about us shows is just we're kind of lacking in diversity and that that is definitely something that that i see um you know us shows you kind of you see basically all the same species over and over again um, ball pythons obviously boas uh chameleons leopard geckos bearded dragons um, you know, most of the animals at the show are in those, uh, in those animals, uh, animal types. And then, you know, you see some other, you know, cool stuff and you go, wow, something rare, you know, but, but at these other shows, you know, I see a lot of, uh, a lot more diversity and it's, it's definitely really cool. I mean, one thing that's interesting about the Japan show is that, um, you know, and if anyone is, has, uh, seen my pictures that I post on Facebook, I mean, you, you see the animals i mean there's there's uh there's all the same stuff that we have at the u s shows but i mean there's also a lot of mammals um at the show so i mean there's uh you know uh and wallabies and uh meerkats and um slow loris uh you know all kinds of you know sh- weird shrews that I don't even know what they were um some big giant red uh, like tree porcupine uh, thing from somewhere in Asia. Um, you know, you see, you see a lot of that stuff. Um, there, it's also legal to keep, um, birds. Uh, so you see a lot of raptors and owls and those sorts of things. And I mean, some people do fly them in falconry, but other people just keep them as a, as a house pet um so it's it's interesting to see that kind of stuff. I remember one time when I was in Japan there was you know, i'm I'm running around taking pictures of mammals and and hawks and owls, and he's like, Well, aren't you interested in the reptiles? i'm like, okay yeah yeah there's most of the most of the reptiles are are similar you know there are some really cool things like you know just uh, you know like I saw a whole bunch of um, you know, Laos newts, or, you know, I see those there, which are, you know, that's kind of a, a super rare animal that you don't see very often. Um, pig-nosed turtles, so I, I was holding this picture of me on Facebook holding an albino pig-nosed turtle. Um, albino um, leopard tortoise, um, I saw over there. There were only like four of them in the world. Um, you know, just a lot of just really crazy, rare stuff. I mean, Japanese people are definitely into really crazy rare things um so that's that's you know certainly makes those shows a lot of fun um with european shows what's nice about those shows is you know i mean you and i both know how much it costs to have a table at a at a show i mean you you can't you can't do a show unless you're actually expecting to sell animals because it's expensive, right. you know. I don't know how much table yeah. costs are where you are, but I mean, in, in California, you know, it's two hundred fifty to three hundred dollars for for just one eight foot booth, uh, you know, or, or you know, with an eight foot long table in it. Um, mm-hmm. And you need electricity and extra passes and parking and you know all that. It gets it gets really expensive. So you you really have to you have to have sales lined up. You have to have a good volume of animals in order for a show to be worth it. Um, but the cool thing about the shows in uh, Germany, you know, the ham show in particular, is that you buy your table space by the meter. So it's only, you know, 30, I think it's 30 euros for one, it's either 15 or 30 euros for a one meter of space. And, you know, you buy it by the meter. So if you're just a, a small-scale hobbyist um, who, you know, just has a small number of animals to sell, you, know, you can go to ham and get a meter of space and display your animals and, you know, you're not, it's not that expensive. So as a result, you see a lot more diversity from from the hobbyists. And you, you have people who are, you know, really really doing it from a pure hobbyist, you know, scientific um, point of view, where you have some guy who's interested in some rare genus of Indonesian snakes, and that's all he breeds. And you go there and you go, wow, I don't even know what these are, because no one keeps them and breeds them. They're way cool, uh, but, you know, there's not, you know, in the U.S. people kind of stick to, you know, a lot of people stick to the species that are, you know, have a lot of morphs to them and are easy to sell. Um, you know, certainly there are those those people in the U.S. that, that love their super rare gecko species and, and, you know, there's certainly a market for those, but it's not as large as the, the markets for, you know, ball pythons and boas and leopard geckos and bearded dragons and all those things. So, you know that's the reason why we breed those things is is that they're they're easy to sell there there's a, a good market for them but you know if you could take the the financial aspect out of it and just do it you know what kind of animal would you be interested in breeding and just just look at it in terms of that you know you get a lot more of those people in Germany that that just have a a really focused interest on some uh, rare you know or, or just obscure animal. Um, and they keep them and breed them, and, and so you just see a lot more diversity as a result. And, and there's a lot more of the little guy um, at these shows, which is which is really refreshing. It's really nice to see that. It's, I mean, ham is a crazy, crazy show. I mean, it's you know, people start lining up to get into the show you know five or six o'clock in the morning because um, they want to be the first in the door. And you know, ham is is is, is intense. I mean, it's it's really hot, even if it's you know, the December show, it's super hot in the venue because there's just so many people. And, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's really tight quarters. Um, it's hard to see everything. You just, you really can't make your way around to the tables easily because there's just so many people. And that's, and, and also, it, it's, all, it's a one-day show, um, you know, due to animal uh, welfare uh, regulations, they only have one-day shows so you know the the uh, you know it, it goes really quick, so you know the door's officially open at ten o'clock, and it's basically over by three i mean the the show is open until like five um but by three o'clock you know you, it's basically over. people have made their purchases or picked up their animals and and they're they're uh you know heading out and i mean people do start packing up at three o'clock um so it's it's really fast paced it's really Uh, Frantic, but uh, you know when I I go to Ham, you know I'm I'm there with my own animals, so I kind of have a a, you know responsibility to be at my table. But there's just so much to see, and I just never get to see it all. So um, you know, it's there's certainly a lot of really good uh, keepers in Europe um, that are you know doing a lot of of great stuff with their animals.
1: So somebody like me that has uh, issues with claustrophobia and Anxiety and crowds would probably not fare too well in an atmosphere like that.
3: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: <laughs>
2: I would, uh, I would, okay.
1: I would tough it out though, just to see everything that you just, you just <laughs> described, because um, you know these these people that specialize in obscure and you know special things are. I I am I agree. They're, it's refreshing to see someone dedicate their their. Uh, to, it's almost be a steward to the species, as I like to call it.
2: <clears throat> and uh mm-hmm.
1: i you know i and that's that's important i think today even i don't know if you you probably agree um even with leopard gecko morphs um i think some breeders that are focusing on one particular morph and keeping it pure and keeping it uh you know keeping it with that certain look and you know spending that time on it and being known for that um are definitely are worthy of respect and uh mm-hmm. I, I think I think, in the future, those types of people are going to be sought after too, because I think we're making a lot of different combos, like we're, like I think this season, people are going to be putting white and yellow into everything, and I'm almost like, I'm almost scared to see what the market's going to look like when there's white and yellow everything everywhere uh, this season. And uh, I think that in the future, though, people are going to want to deconstruct these morphs too, and get some of these added genes out. I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean,
3: there, there's, you know, we, what I've done, you know, with my company is I've tried to kind of keep, keep things broad. And I mean, I was, you know, one of the first people to buy the Max Snow, you know, one of the first people to buy the Enigma. I mean, uh, you know, I remember hatching my first patternless albino, you know, when back when pattern, I wasn't the first to hatch that, but I mean, the patternless albinos were $500 at the time for rainwater patternless albino. Um, you know, we've, we've been around a while. We've seen, you know, a lot of these new morphs come and, and crest to, you know, being the, the, the top-of-the-line morph um, all the way down to, you know, being more of a run-of-the-mill morph. And I've always tried to keep my collection very broad and, and preserve um, the, the breadth of morphs that we keep. You know, I still want to be able to sell you know regular Max Snows, uh, regular Super Hypos, regular Trimper Albinos, and Bell Albinos, and still want to be able to sell all of that stuff. And there's a market for it. You know, it, it's not uh, you know you're not selling them for hundreds of dollars, but but it's it's uh, you know kind of the the, uh, the the newbies that you know they needed a cheap morph to start with, and you know for someone who's going to focus their whole collection on Producing high-end stuff. I mean, yeah, they'll have some byproducts they can sell to, to capture that lower-end um, customer. But on the other hand, you know, there, there's you know you need to have animals that you can sell in, in a lot of different price ranges. Um, so mm-hmm. I mean, from a sales point of view, yes, that that's uh, true. But on the other hand, just kind of preserving more, more from a, a, a preservation standpoint. I mean, I, just thinking back 10 years ago, there's some bloodline. That I had in my collection that were super common, and you know, I kind of uh, had either bred them out to different things, and, and then kind of blitzed the bloodline, and you know, I just wish I could get them back. You know, I mean, the, the best example of the linebred super hypo I mean, years ago, you know, you had two different, and, and also like the the absolutely pure rayhine tails are also super super hard to find. Um, you know, years ago this is probably like early two thousands, um, you had two different two different types of, of tangerines basically. You had line super super tangerines from the Bill Brandt, Gourmet Rodent Bloodline. You know, they had really good tangerine, but they had spots on their body, spots on their head, you know, they they it was just, you know, line bread was, was how their they their hypogene was. Um, and then you had the Ray Hine uh, hypo carrot tails. Which you know were most of them were baldy, most of them had a you know no spots on the head, no spots on the tail i'm I'm sorry, no spots on the body, no spots on the head, but you know their body color was kind of a, a, a just a yellow basically, but I mean, they had fantastic uh carrot tails. well, you know obviously, what everyone wanted to do was we wanted to create a gecko that was completely orange with a with a solid orange carrot tail so and you know the obvious thing to do was to breed um the two line, bloodlines together and just, you know, line breed from, for color from there. But, you know, the dominant hypo really is a, a powerful, powerful gene. And, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, I had uh, what I did is I bought a male that had the dominant hypo uh, gene in it and bred it to all my line bred super hypo females. And it, it worked. You know, I was producing baldies like crazy. You know, basically everything was baldy, which was what I wanted. Um, but now I kind of wish I could go back and, and have that original bloodline, you know, just kind of have the two pieces separated. Um, you know, it's, certainly they wouldn't be selling for crazy dollars, but but still just from a, a genetic puzzle uh, standpoint, it would be great to have those separate pieces that you could utilize. Um, and we've actually we've recreated um, – I, I, I fortunately have – kind of kept enough pieces. It kind of sat on the back burner, uh, but I wasn't able to recreate the line bread super hypo, so I do have that, and we've done some work with it, and it's actually something I'll be releasing hopefully later on this year, Um, something that we've, you know, it's kind of taken, it's a line bread super hypo, um, but we've taken it in a new direction that, you know, just makes it absolutely cool, and, and, you know, we've used it as a piece to put into other projects and it's, it's really been uh, fantastic. I mean, you, you, you get the color, but for morphs where you want to preserve the patterning, um, you don't lose it, you know, by putting the dominant hypo gene in there. I mean, that really just blasts it away. I mean, you could have a baby that looks really cool as a, as a hatchling that's got a reverse stripe and cool patterns and all that, but, uh, you know, by the time it gets to be an adult, that dominant hypo gene just wipes it out and it just looks like a super hypo. You know, which is certainly mm-hmm. a fantastic morph, but you know, if you're if you're breeding for patterns, you want those patterns to stay. So That's right. hypo works against you. Well, you know, with so, two anyways, today, I, to, I see I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. No, no, I said well, okay, I was saying we've we've kind of worked to preserve things. I mean we have a, a really nice um eclipse non het bloodline that people are really loving. Um we should produce a lot of really cool ones this year and mm-hmm. in, in You know, they're really uh, just beautiful. I mean, they have, you know, fantastic uh, pied uh, nose and head. And, you know, this is just Eclipse. These aren't galaxies or anything. They they have a lot of high white on their head. Um, So that's a bloodline that, you know, we're working with that to to add a little bit more color. They could be a little bit more colorful. Um, You know, and actually we're using this line-bred hypogene to to increase that color. Uh, You know, so anyway, that will... That will uh, certainly produce some fantastic things.
1: Yep, I'm looking at that eclipse right now. You're right; it is definitely different than most eclipses uh, that we have. We were talking about the eclipse gene in particular last week, and uh, mm-hmm. yes, regular regular eclipses are are beautiful. And I was jumping in a minute ago to say, to mention about tangerines. It seems to be today two different camps as far as tastes go with tangerines. I mean, I'm partial to the tangerines that have got. Bright orange, but they have the black spots over them. I mean, you know, the super hypo baldies look great. Don't get me wrong, but I yep. like the dirty look, so to speak, with the black spots. I think it's much cooler. Definitely. but yeah, Definitely. So, But some people like that clean, all orange look, and you know, that's that's fine. It's it's your taste. Right? That's cool, though, that you're you're able to separate things and and do that. Um, all right, mm-hmm. well, we're we're at the halfway point of the show, Steve. And what I think we're going to do, uh, we're going to take our break. And after the break, I'm going to open up the phone lines. We have a bunch of people in the queue, okay. and um, we're going to take the calls. All right, so hang great. tight, folks, and we'll be right back with more with Steve Sykes of Geckos, et cetera. What a great interview, so.
0: Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Geckos creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need, from Exoterra, Zoo Rapashi, RepCal, Fluker, and much, much more, and all at 20 to 50 percent cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect eating herps abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price they're also a huge distributor of Flexwatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing check out abdragons.com online and on facebook supreme gecko is a great source For crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos, Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the Northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Okay, everybody, we are back. And I'd
1: like to start out the second half of the show by saying uh, thank you, everyone in the chat room and everybody that's listening live and for all our callers in the queue. Um, I love it. I love when everybody's participating. It's awesome. Let's say hi to Amanda. I saw you at the show. Good seeing you today, Amanda. Uh, we have Brett. We have Brooke. We have Chris. We have Dylan, Elsa, a bunch of guests. We have Jeff, George, uh, Jorge, Kayleen, Soft Kitty, Steph. Mike Preston and Volgel saying in the in the chat, so thank you guys for tuning in tonight. All right, we're gonna start our second half, and I'm bringing Steve back and uh Steve I'm going to start taking calls we have a We have a few ready to go, and uh the one that's so been, been on the longest here, yep the one that's been on the longest here is someone I know. I recognize the number, and that is Daryl. welcome, Daryl. hey guys, how y'all doing tonight? doing good, Hey, Daryl.
6: Yeah, I'd just like to say, once again, Dave, another great show. And, uh, Steve, oh, I just uh, I spend a lot of time just perusing your webpage, looking at stuff and just thinking, wow, so how much fun that must be to uh, to play with all those animals every day.
3: Thank you. Oh, it certainly is.
6: But my question to you is, is, if I'm fairly new into the leopard geckos. I used to keep snakes in the 80s, but just started keeping leopard geckos in the last year uh, with my son to uh, – kind of show him how things breed and all that good stuff. And we're having a ball with it. Mm-hmm. But if if somebody was to, uh, you know, come in today, and, and what's the one key word of advice you would give them about breeding reptiles today?
2: Hmm.
3: Make sure that it's fun. Um, that That's definitely key. Um, you know, I've certainly seen a lot of people get into reptiles and then get out of it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that come and go every year. Um, it's if, if being successful in reptiles, it, it really has to be something that's in your blood. You know, I've been keeping reptiles since I was four. I am I am destined to forever keep reptiles. There's nothing else I could do. Um, but there's people that look at reptiles and they go, Wow, th- look how much these are selling for. I can do this. I can make. I can breed these. And and there certainly are those times when it's not so fun. You know, when you're, when you're busy with other things in life and your animals are still requiring your care, you know, you have to, you know, put your head down, push forward, and, you know, you might be cleaning cages at 2 in the morning and you really want to be sleeping, you know, or, or choosing not to go out with your friends because you need to stay home and collect eggs before, you know, it, you know on, the, on the normal schedule you should be collecting your eggs. So, you know, keeping it, keeping it fun, keeping the fun in it, working with the species and the morphs that you enjoy, Um, that's key. You know, you need to be excited about the projects that you're working on. Um, you know, you're, people ask me all the time, you know, what, what should I get? What, which more would you recommend? And I never answer that question because that that would be, that would be, you know, in, in, inappropriate for me to do that. I, I know what I like, you know, and basically I like everything, but I, you know, I do have my favorites, but that's what I tell them, Steve. Yeah. You know,
1: you you need to, I I like them all.
3: Exactly. I mean, what 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 appeals to you? You know, that's that's what you choose. I mean, some people want the the, the black and white morphs. Some people want the white morph. Some people want the orange morph. Some will love the ones with stripes. And there's something for everybody. So people need to to you know work with what they love. They need to keep it at a level that is manageable. Um, and they need to. And another thing too is kind of have a plan for for how you're going to manage it. You know, don't just breed a million animals. And then say, okay, you know, now I'm going to sell them. And and it, you know, your plans may not work out that way. Um, and that's that's when you start having difficult times. So keep it fun, keep it manageable. Um, you know, enjoy it. it. It doesn't have to be a a full time business for everybody, and it, and it shouldn't be. Um, it certainly has its it, it has its ups and downs. It has its you know it has its issues, but it certainly has a lot of there's a lot of fun in it as well. But um, it, it you know keep it fun.
1: Sounded perfect. Right. That's yes. that's
6: uh, that's my uh, motto as well. And Dave, thanks for kicking me back in there. I uh, got kicked off. You know you wouldn't believe it. We hadn't had any rain in West Texas in six months. We got a thunderstorm going and a big crack of thunder and boom, I was gone. <laughs>
1: I did it in a way nobody even knew until you just said it. So I, I saw you pop yeah. on. Oh. I just unmuted you back in. So it's all good. It's all good, there. Okay.
6: Well, Steve, I appreciate it, and that—that's that, kind of my motto on it as well. And uh, my son, as long as it's orange, he's a Longhorn fan. As long as it's orange, he doesn't care. <laughs> and And uh, so me—that's—that's that's me. I kind of, you know, I'm with you. That—that's that, my yep. whole idea. I'm, you know, I, I'm an old school kind of guy. I like the the subspecies stuff. Uh, yep. You know, I like the pure stuff. I'm like Dave, like y'all were talking earlier. I think. Uh, you know, these combos are fun, and everybody's enjoying that, but I think in the long run the the people are going to start working on the old stuff and just mainlining it and line breeding it and making it better and better and better. And I think I think in the yep. long run that's going to be key. Yep, definitely. So, definitely. Well, all right, guys, I'll get out of your hair, and I'll get back to throwing mealworms at these guys and listening to <laughs> you all, and I'm sure enjoying it. So uh, hang in there. Awesome. Thanks for the
3: question. Thank you.
6: You bet. Thank you. Yes.
1: Thanks, Thanks Daryl. Thank you. All right, buddy. Uh, all right, cool. Yeah, Steve Daryl's uh, Daryl's building a quite impressive. Uh, um, I'm sure he'll be. I'm sure he'll be contacting you soon enough because he's definitely got the bug. He's. Uh, I think he's, he just grabbed some Man, Ingram manuals and from John and. Okay. Um, he's having a lot of fun, and you know what? And that's, that brings up a good point. Um, when mm-hmm. I see people like like Daryl, and I say this often that that uh, you know are taking this seriously and are doing it the right way, and they're, um, you know, focusing on quality, um, that's, that's important, and he's having a lot of fun, him and his son are doing it the right way, and that's, that's it. Now, we, we do see some people come in and out of it, um, thinking that they're going to make a quick buck, and that's never happened, does it, Steve?
4: No, <laughs>
1: definitely not, <laughs> right. definitely
4: not. It's it,
3: just... it, you know, it, it takes time to, to build your collection, and build your reputation, and uh, you know, it it takes time to even break even. Uh, you can expect mm-hmm. to be sinking a bunch of money into it to get yourself started um, for for years um, before you you start making a profit.
2: Yep,
1: yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go ahead and take this next call. Uh, wow, people, some people have been on here a while. Caller from the three three zero area code. You are live on Tech Radio. Hey,
6: Dave, what's up?
1: Hey, who's this? You.
3: Hey. This is Steve. I can hear you. Happy birthday, man. Actually, I
1: was just oh, listening,
3: you. but,
7: uh, well, but uh, you, you actually, air
1: actually air called air me out. Well, it's I really have a question, I just want to
7: say you guys
1: you rock. <laughs> okay, really well, appreciate what you do. doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're going to keep doing it. As well. I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait until I can actually get some geckos from you. I'm a huge fan.
1: Well, where, where are you located? Youngstown. Where is that? Youngstown. Youngstown. Oh, Youngstown, Ohio? Yes, sir. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, whenever you're ready, just hit me up and I'll take care of you. And, uh, yeah, just hit me up on Facebook or whatever. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right. Let's go to the next caller. I know who this is. Caller from the 253 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Oh, hi, Hi, guys. This is Elsa. Hey, Elsa, how are you? Hi,
3: Elsa. I, I'm fine, but I was wondering, when working with the Eclipse gene, what are several important things to remember?
1: Good
2: question. When
3: working with the Eclipse gene, what are several important things to remember? Right. Well, uh, I mean, Eclipse is a recessive gene, um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty simple one in terms of understanding how it's going to uh, be inherited, um, knowing, you know, oftentimes it comes with other, you know, associated with other genes, either Bell, uh, Tremper, or Rainwater, so, you know, it's important to know if any other genes are present in the animal. Um, yeah, I think that's know, what my, you're getting at, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, You know, my opinion, you know, on the Eclipse is that it is um, kind of random in terms of the snake eye or solid eye aspect to it. You know, breeders have tried to prove that out, you know, and and with my experience as well, I haven't really gotten a uh, clear indication of, of, you know, if you breed two solid eyes together, you get all solid eyes. You know, I haven't really seen a pattern of, of solid eyes or snake eyes.
1: So, all right, so, you, so there's no, you don't, we were talking about this a little bit last week. You don't think it's, uh, it's able to be line-bred for pure uh, black eyes? Like you're still going to get snake eyes on occasion?
3: I believe so, yeah. I mean, in my okay. experience, that's what I have found. I, I you okay. know, have bloodlines where I, I you know, get both of them all the time. You know, one, one exception mm-hmm. would be Diablo Blancos. Nearly all of our Diablo Blancos that we hatch are solid-eyed. And I, I, you know, my opinion is it's probably the blizzard gene. You know, in blizzards you have animals that are solid-eyed and snake-eyed. You know, even without the eclipse gene in them. So, yep. Uh, for our Diablo Blancos, we we hatch uh, you know, nearly all of them to be solid-eyed.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's. I would have to agree. Yeah. I'm wondering, um, Steve, do you think that there's? Do you notice if there's if it happens that you get more snake eyes or more solid eyes? Is there, or is it just all equal, or you know,
3: meaning if you breed two solid solid-eyed together, what do you get?
1: You know, well, I mean, gonna on average, like you, if you're breeding eclipse to eclipse, on average, do you produce more with black eyes, solid black eyes, than, or more with snake eyes? What do you think? Well, okay, I guess when you're when
3: you're calling something eclipse, you're you're saying that's a solid eye. I guess you know, well, in my in the,
2: in well, no. the definition.
1: Yeah, snake eye oh, okay. eclipses, solid eye eclipses, whatever. Even Abyssinian type eclipses. Like when you breed sure. eclipses, do you notice that you know do you notice that you get more coming out that are snake eyed or do you get more that are solid eyes, or is it like rarer that you get two solid eyes? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know
3: what I mean? You know, I, I kind of wish we we kept notes on that. You know, there's so many things for us to keep notes on, and um, that, mm-hmm. that keeping track of solid eyed versus snake eyed numbers. Um, hasn't been something you know. Hasn't been data that we've collected. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we hatch a lot of geckos. You know, we see plenty of both. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to tell you, uh, you know, if we hatch, you know, sixty percent solid and forty percent snake eye. I just don't, I don't know that answer. Okay. All right. Let's just figure out it is.
1: Couldn't hurt. All right. Let's go ahead
3: and take mm-hmm.
2: this next
1: call. Caller from uh, let's say caller from the five three zero area code. So you're live on Gecko Nation Radio.
7: Hey Dave. Hey Steve. How you doing? This is Jeff. Hey, hey Jeff. Hey How's it going? Jeff, how are you? Good. Good. Yeah. No. I, I was listening, but um, on the eclipse thing. While we're on it, <laughs> um, okay. if you have a two eclipses that aren't showing the the eye the eye pigment, and you breed them together, you can still get solid eye and snake eyes, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's that was that was yeah. one of my questions. Yep. But um. No, Steve. Steve's not too far from here. Yep. And oh, you I'm, guys are
1: out, like, You guys are both in California. That's right.
7: Yeah, Northern California. He's he's a bit bit south. He he got the tail into the tornado or something. I think that was north of yeah, the... Yeah, we we, was, we saw that, that tornado. Did you?
3: Yeah, it went over our gecko facility. It didn't. It it was still a, a you know, a swirling cloud at that point. It didn't touch down uh, in that area. But yeah, it it, uh, it actually touched down in the town that I live in. Um, yeah. Not not close to where I live, about maybe three and a half miles away from here. But uh, yeah, we we saw a tornado just a week and a half ago.
7: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's really really bizarre for California weather. I, I'm up Definitely. here up here in Megalia above um, Paradise and that. So okay. I don't I don't worry too much about them unless I'm down there. Tornado well, alley. Steve, if
1: Jeff, uh, <laughs> Jeff was probably hoping that the tornado would have sucked up some of your
7: geckos and dropped
1: them on his rock lawn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, raining, it's raining
7: geckos. It's raining geckos.
3: <laughs>
7: <laughs> I, I, I got another question too. <laughs> that, at the Sacramento show, I can never hear you talking. I always stand, yeah. sit in those chairs, and the acoustics are just—they're crazy lousy. <laughs> yeah. But um, yep. No, I would love looking at your table. There, it's it's. I mean, I would probably slobber on it. It's a good thing you have nets on there. I, I, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> well, certainly. Thanks for coming in. I I don't think we've ever actually met. Like, I don't think
2: we've actually no. shook
3: hands. And you said, you know, I'm Jeff because I I've seen pictures of you on Facebook and yeah. You know, I, I, I you know we've talked back and forth on Facebook, but uh, and
7: I have you got, know, got a few animals from you and. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you need to no. say
3: I am Jeff. You know, next time.
7: We, so <laughs> yeah, you're always you're always up there talking at the podium when I go to the shows.
3: Yeah,
6: I'll,
7: I'll go up there yeah. and say, yeah, I don't care." <laughs>
3: yeah,
7: I think you like <laughs> really to get hugs
3: day. too, though, Steve. So watch out; you may yeah. get a hug
7: from them
3: too. All right, I'm, that's good
7: yeah. with me. I'm fine with that. <laughs> 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 at least that's
3: what right. Marcia says.
7: Yeah, <laughs> no, I always talk with Marcia when she's there, and. No, this last show there was great. Ron was there, Marcia, yeah, yep, and and you and well, everybody else. But um, yep. no, this is a great yep. show. Good show. You'll you'll be there this year too, right?
3: I will. Yes.
7: Good. Good. Yeah, it's hometown.
3: Yep. Yeah, <laughs> definitely.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, right. well. Thank, thank you. I, I'm enjoying listening to the show here. All right. Great. Yeah. Thanks. thanks for calling. <laughs>
1: All right, we have another caller here. Caller from the uh, 602 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio.
4: Hi there, Dave and Steve. Hello. This, hi, is, this Kayleen.
1: is Kayleen. Kayleen, this is Kayleen.
4: I'm good. How are you? Happy birthday, by the way.
1: Uh, thank you so much. I'm 38 today.
4: Oh, that's not bad at all. You're still young. Fair I, gecko I know. A, uh,
1: They say <laughs> I look like I'm 28, so I'll take it, you know. I feel okay,
4: like I'm go. 28. <laughs> I just want to say to uh, both of you, it's an honor to be on the Gecko Nation radio with you guys. Um, I envy both of you because it's just, it's amazing what you guys have done and how you've come up to do this. Uh, I grew up with parents who didn't like geckos. I'm finally 21. I just got my first leopard gecko in September, and now I just got my second, So, and I'm looking to uh, start collecting and breeding my own geckos. So I just wanted to ask you, David, uh, how did you get to be such a gecko enthusiast?
2: Oh, well... How
4: did you bring up all the geckos?
1: Yeah, I I don't want to steal too much thunder away from Steve, but um, just so you know, Kayleen, we did an episode all about me in the past, but I'll just tell you briefly, um, I've always had geckos uh, since I'm a teenager, since I was about uh, 14 or 15 I've bred leopard geckos, just normals for the first time and I've always had at least one leopard gecko in my collection since then. And then just in the last five years, four to five years now, I've just become enamored with all the morphs and um I've kind of just become a gecko addict and
2: <laughs>
1: I've just uh I'm really because I'm breeding them on a bigger scale and I'm actually seeing the results and watching my projects transition and change, I'm up now and kinda like you're about to be. So I don't, I can tell, I remember what it was like when I only had a couple of geckos, but once you start breeding them and once you start seeing a project uh, come to fruition, uh, it's just an amazing feeling. And because they're, it's so easy, like, um, and I'm sure Steve can agree with me, but especially with leopard geckos, you know, you can see the results of your projects within a year. I mean, you could breed these within a year, usually. And, you know, with ball pythons, you're waiting three years to the females to ensure, I mean, there's such a quick turnaround, and you can realize what you're, what you're going for in a shorter amount of time. And and they're just they're just beautiful animals. They're so friendly and I I just I, I think they're they the perfect are. Yeah, they're like the perfect lizard. And so I mean that's that's what it is for me. But yeah. Um you know that's 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 my thing. But uh yeah, do you have I, any questions you- for uh, Steve Canley?
4: No, I just wanted to say, Steve. I heard how you brought up that you uh, went to University of California, and I think that's pretty amazing too. How uh, thank you. you had your room dedicated to gecko. My room is pretty much becoming <laughs> that way too. Yeah, <laughs> it's
2: it, uh, it's just
4: kind You're of taking something. up my space.
3: Yeah, they they quickly do. You know, so I uh, at that time, you know, I had other animals as well. You know, I had a bunch of snakes and turtles, and you know, it was mostly geckos that, that filled my room, and then. As my gecko collection expanded, you know, some of those other animals had to go. So I got rid of the snakes and and just made room for more geckos.
4: That's awesome. (laughs) All right, (laughs) Kaylee, thanks for calling in. All righty. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you. Anytime. Bye.
1: What do you think, Steve? She's hooked. Her fate is sealed, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Uh,
1: all right. We have another caller here. Caller from the 803 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave. This is Dylan. Hi, Dylan. How are, How are you? you guys doing? Hi, Dylan. Hey, We're nice good. to meet you. Um, I bought a gecko from you before, uh, Steve. Oh, okay, great.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was right. a while Thank ago.
1: But, um, I was just wondering, like, what it takes um, in the eclipse gene to – to uh, clear all the other hets and whatnot out of it
6: and to make it a pure gecko. Explain to everybody.
1: Sure. Hmm.
3: Well, I mean, you know, Eclipse is its own recessive gene, so, I mean, it it can operate completely independently of albino. Um, However, you know, the Eclipse gene was originally sold closely linked to the Tremper albino. Um, You know, when Ron Tremper first started selling it, uh, you know, I think pretty much everything was head albino. So you know, what you need to do is, is breed, you know, so let's say you start with an eclipse that you're, well, let's say you're starting with an eclipse, you're not sure. Well, so you're starting with an eclipse that's head Tremper, because starting, take it back to the original days. But anyway, you yeah. take an eclipse head Tremper and you breed it to something that is not Het for anything else. Um, and then what you're going to create are every, all those babies are going to be um, Het Eclipse and they're going to be 50% possible Het for Tremper. And what that means, 50% possible Het for Tremper, you know, what that is is that, Half of the babies that you just hatched carry the Tremper gene, and half of them do not. Um, of course, yeah. they all look the same, so you don't know which, ones is, which one is which, so you have to do test breeding to figure out which ones are carrying Tremper and which ones are not. So you would take those babies and, and breed them to Trempers um, to, you know, well that's one way to do it. You could test take those. breed
5: and eclipse. figure out which
6: ones.
3: Exactly. Yeah, you, know, you could take those. It, yeah. Right, exactly. Once you figure out who's not head for Tremper, then you've cleared out the albino, and then you're free to proceed um, with with a, a pure uh, bloodline.
2: That's amazing. <laughs> How long <laughs> does that take,
3: Steve? Um, it depends. You know, there's, there's various ways to do it. I mean, for me, uh, you know, the eclipses that I got, the eclipse non-hets, you know, I got those from other breeders, um, and, and mm-hmm. so I basically started with a pure bloodline, you know, but it, it, whenever I get a new bloodline, I always, you know, it, it's never where I want it to be, you know, I always have mm-hmm. some work to do in terms of line breeding, yeah. size, or you know, trying to get some more color into them, or if they have a tail kink, you know, going on that I don't like, you know, I can you know, work <laughs> to to breed that out. Um, you know, some things are easier than others. You know, you you can't some some things you have to you have no choice but to stay within the bloodline. You, you know, like particularly like subspecies.
2: You, know, you just yeah. can't
3: take a subspecies and breed it to a you know a normal. Uh, you know, non-het, you know, it's just regular uh, leopard gecko, because then it's not a pure subspecies anymore. So, um, but anyway, you know, it it uh, it takes it, it depends. You know, there's various ways to do it, and it's just also with choosing those not those those hets to test breed out. Um, yeah. you know, it just it's luck. You know, if you you might get it in your first year, you might pick you know the wrong ones and and not get it in your first year. So,
6: mm. it depends. Well, that was my only question, and you answered it.
3: Okay, I appreciate Bill. it.
1: All right. All right um, bye, calling. Dave and Steve. Y'all have a nice night. You too. Thanks right, thank for calling. Bye-bye. All right. Yeah, you know, the eclinching, it does definitely confuses a lot of people today, and uh, it's got so many different components to it. Not only is it the eyes, but it also, you know, can really affect color and pattern when mixed with other things, and,
2: you know, mm-hmm. I think
1: it's, uh, you know, it's incredible. I mean, I'm... You know some breeders feel that it's uh, like a gene unlocker kind of deal um or do you, and some other breeders don't think it's like gene unlocker I think it's just you know when the when other genes are mixed with it it kind of reacts differently what are your what's your opinion on that uh Steve um,
3: personally, I never really liked the term gene unlocker um because
2: mm-hmm.
3: i I don't feel that there's you know, in, in an animal that, that you're calling a gene unlocker, you know, you're not, you're not really going to – there aren't hidden genes in there that when you bring something else to it, then it unleashes its ability to then produce something cool. Um, you know, different things work together in different ways. You know, there certainly are polygenic, uh, you know, line-bred features to a morph. You know, for – I mean, I guess to, to explain that a little better – you know, like the Eclipse non-HETs that I have are fairly, I mean, they're, they're, you know, cool pastel colors, but they don't, you know, they're just kind of, they're yellow. They don't really have tangerine. You know, the, mm-hmm. the bloodline, I can take it and, and change it by adding tangerine into it, you know, and I'm, I'm increasing its, its color. You know, those are the line aspects, that those are operating totally independently of the Eclipse gene itself.
2: So gotcha. just, anyway, it, I
3: just, mean,
1: it, it, when they add up it's because of a different look that when they add together exactly exactly. i mm-hmm. mean
3: you and you and I could both take you know
1: baby geckos
3: that, that are hatched from the same parents and you know add five years of of selective breeding to it. We have have genetically the same animals in terms of their mm-hmm. original lineage, um, but they may have totally completely different looks to them just with the line breeding um, that you and I had done independently of each other.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, no, I understand that. All right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very interesting though. Sometimes like when you breed eclipses to things you know, and you produce like a, when you've bred them to like say max nose and you create uh, max Snow eclipses for two generations, you're, you're pretty sure right. about what you're going to get and what they're going to look like. But then all of a sudden one of those babies just looks crazy. And, and you right. know, it's like, well, what's that about? <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, what do you what do you think about that? What, what, what's going on when when that? Do you think it's the eclipse doing that, or do you think it's just random uh, genetics making a weird gecko? Rand- I, I would I I would attribute it just
3: to random random things coming together. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily attribute it specifically to the eclipse, and mm-hmm. that it it came from the, you know, a a special region of the Eclipse gene unlocked that allowed this, you know, cool thing to come out. You know, it may be that, you know, other line bred features are, are coming through, you know, that you may not have necessarily noticed, but when you keep breeding within the same bloodline, those subtle differences are going to combine together and then create a more extreme example, and that could be what you're seeing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is, and, and I
3: guess another thing, too, certainly when you hatch out something that's just totally off the wall and, and totally distinct from a, a bloodline, uh, you know, bloodline's general look, you know, that, that should be certainly ringing some bells that, hey, this is a keeper and, and you keep that and, and prove it out. You know, any of us have the opportunity at any time um, mm-hmm. to hatch out a brand new recessive or dominant uh, or codominant gene. You know, it's certainly possible. It's just a numbers game. And certainly when you're hatching things on a much larger scale, you know, if you're producing 100,000 leopard geckos a year, chances are that person's probably hatching some brand new morph every year. They may or may not notice it. Um, yeah. But, you know, any of us, even someone that hatches 10 geckos a year, uh, could, could end up just by luck hatching out a brand new uh, mutation that, that if in the right hands, it could be proven out and, and bred and, and end up to be a, a new component that us, you know, gecko geeks can use to create brand new cool stuff. So it could could happen um, at any time. I look forward to that day when when we do have a new gene that comes around.
1: Yeah, and um, one of the things that a lot of new breeders uh, dream about is, you know, stumbling on something like that. And uh, say say you're breeding, you know, Tremper albinos, for instance, or uh, even normals that are, you know, het-free. There is that possibility that you could create a codom or, or a dominant trait out of nowhere? I mean, how is that possible if there's no codom or dominant trait already in it? It's, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg scenario
2: in my mind.
1: I don't quite uh, – it doesn't quite, you know, uh,
3: exactly. compute sometimes. Well, I mean, to, to, to break it down, you know, the, the, the morphs that we love, you know, the genes that we, we all know as, as being dominant and codominant and recessive, you know, those are – Due to a specific region in the genes of the gecko that is, you know, mutated. You know, literally, that's the word. It's they're mutants, um, and you know, that mutation just happens spontaneously. Um, you know, it it, 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 you know, things get changed as the animal is developing, and so I mean, yes, the first enigma did hatch out of two non-enigma animals. You know, who knows when that was? I mean, Mark Bell was the first to. to be selling those, and you know, uh, you know, they have a very large collection, and someone just realized this gecko was looking a little different, and they decided to, to test breed it out, and you know, it turns out it was a, a dominant gene that you know could be reproduced and, and used. But I mean, it you know, it, it, it hatched out of nothing, um, you know, there was no enigma. So you know, the the anyway, that's that's how it that it would happen. It's just a mutation that that spontaneously occurs, and um, yeah.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I know we're not geneticists, and we're, we are breeders trying to figure things out. Some of us have a better grasp on it than others, of course. Um, I, it, this, this discussion reminds me of uh, Kevin McCurley when he talks about uh, how pied, not pied, but hetpied, um, and I think he even describes it as unlocking, more or less. When, when hetpied is expressed in a five-gene, in certain five-gene ball python morphs, it, as an, it's an actual visible it actually changes the color and pattern. It's actually a visible trait. But in the normal run-of-the-mill pie, it's barely noticeable. I mean, there's sometimes pie markers near the tail. Um, But it seems that when it's combined with other things, that it does what, you know, some people think the eclipse does with unlocking things. And uh, Mm -hmm. is it it just that we don't fully understand these genes completely and that, you know, we think we have an idea of what it is, Steve? And some of us do, of course. I'm not going to say... That anybody's you know not knowledgeable, but um I mean do you think these genes can still surprise us and still understand perhaps definitely i mean i, I
3: there's definitely other things that are uh, that will be figured out in the future um as mm-hmm. as you know more test breeding is done and and more combinations are done you know I, one one thing to point out with with the you know the pied um Example, you know, and there's other examples of it. as Well, but I mean, codominant versus recessive. You know, basically the only difference in the way those two different genes, I mean, basically what it. Well, it's not a different gene, but it basically they're, they're patterns of inheritance: codominant versus recessive. And mm-hmm. you know, for codominant, the the diff, You know, when you when you have an animal that has one copy of that gene, it's genotype, its outer appearance is changed. You can say, okay, this gene has done this to it to change the way it looks or its size or whatever. Um, and then when you breed you know, two of those together, one out of four is the super form, and then it has an even more marked uh, look to it. So, you know, max nose, for example, when an animal has a max nose, it takes away some of the yellow. When it's expressing two copies of that gene, it, it, it's completely black and white. With recessive, you know, the, it, it's the same. It's the same pattern. Um, you know, you have your het that has one copy, and you have your, your super, you know, quote unquote super form, you know, which is your recessive, uh, expressing the recessive gene. But but the point is, is that the the only difference between a codominant and a recessive gene is that the the heterozygous animals are not changed in any way. Um, so, you know, you you you're, 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 you're an animal that's het for albino looks completely normal. Well, when you start getting into animals that maybe have a subtle change to them, you know, it may be possible that it's an improper usage of codominant versus recessive. And if, and if you could say that all, you know, I mean, ball pythons probably have more examples we could we could draw from. And I'm certainly not uh, knowledgeable about all different all the different ball python morphs. But if you have a an animal that's a heterozygous animal that's expressing one copy, and it, it changes it subtly, you know, when you call it a, a recessive and when you call it a um, a codominant. So, you know, that's, you know, when you start to get markers for a gene, you know, that's kind of saying, well, okay, well, is is, it, is calling it recessive really accurate? So, mm-hmm.
2: right.
1: you see what I'm saying? Yes, I understand, and that's that's where that's where there's a lot of confusion and <laughs> I see arguments sometimes, uh, you know, with people going back and forth about things, but, uh, it's interesting. And, you know, I think that's, this is what makes this so fun because it is a, it is a chess game. It is uh complex and it, it keeps you stimulated mentally. And it's, it's, it's amazing mm-hmm. it's, to, to be involved in this. Um, it's, I'm looking in the chat room and Jeff is asking a great question. And I definitely have this on our list for the discussion tonight. um, you have produced your own line of m and they are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Jeff is asking, yes, Jeff is asking, how long have you had them, and um, how did you develop them? What did it take to develop them?
3: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting story.
1: Um, it, it basically started
3: immediately after Ron Trumper uh, released the APTers. Um, he first sold, sold aptors, and then eventually he sold Raptors. Um, but anyway, I started off with an APTer uh, male, and I bred him to some linebred super hypo tangerines from the gourmet rodent bloodline. And that was my mm-hmm. goal: is to use the linebred hypos because I mean, APTers and aptor, you know aptors, Raptor hats, all that—they just have some fantastic colors and patterns. And I didn't want that to be wiped away um, by the, the dominant hypo gene. So that was my goal: is to use the linebred hypo. So I bred the after male to uh, some of these line-bred superhypo uh, females and hatched, you know, apter heads um, that were, you know, we were 50% head for raptor. And, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about producing something like DM Marine at the time. I just wanted to produce, you know, really cool raptors and, and raptor heads uh, and eclipses as well. You know, they produce eclipses. But anyway, um, so for, for just, you know, for maybe two or three years, I wasn't even really thinking about it. And just, you know, working in in the After and Raptor project. And then one day, this was like, I was looking in a box. My wife was was my only employee at the time. Uh, It was just the two of us working in our house. And so she was feeding all the animals, and she wasn't really paying too close of attention to them in terms of, you know, cool things that she saw. She would, you know, uh, just want to get in and get the work done. And uh, these were some babies that hatched towards the end of the season. And so I, I hadn't seen them for quite a while. Um, I opened up this box one day, and in there were three juvenile animals that just were, were unbelievable. I'd never seen anything like it. Um, you know, they had a perfect reverse stripe, you know, green down the back of their, their uh, you know, green down the stripe, and then uh, really cool orange on the sides, just unbelievably cool. And it ended up to be one male and two females in that box living together. I was like, wow, this is, this is perfect here. You know, this is a breeding project right here. So I, I kept mm-hmm. those, bred those, and that was the start of Emoryne Project. And this was before Ron released his M-Marines. Um, You know, I, I didn't know what to call them. All I knew is that these things were really cool. Well, anyway, about a year or two later, Ron released his emerines, and I'm like, hmm, those look just like mine. You know, uh, you know they've been taken from a different, uh, you know, they've been derived from a different route. You know, I didn't start with Ron's Emery, you know, I started from scratch basically and produced something that looked very similar. So I was faced with the problem, you know, what do I call these things? You know, do I give them some other name, you know, that that's going to, you know, well, whatever name I choose, um, or do I, you know, just to kind of try to decrease the confusion in the marketplace, um, do I just uh-huh. use the same name but attach my name to it so, I can, so the lineage can be represented, and, and that's what I chose to do. Um, you know, since, since that day when we, you know, decided to call them Psyche Samarines, you know, we, we continue to line breed them every year. Um, you know, they just produce some, some amazing, amazing things. And we have them in the white and yellows now, um, which really helps to, you know, just make a beautiful, clean, um, intensely colored animal. Um, you know, I love the patterns in them. You know, we've, they, they started off reverse striped, um, and that's kind of always been my favorite look to them, you know. But we're also kind of taking another direction and, and having um, the jungles. Uh, so we have some really cool jungle um, emerines um, that you know have just swirled all around green and and, uh, and orange. So
2: yeah, you know, it's been a lot of fun.
1: John Scarborough likes to remind me of the uh, the sikes emerald white and yellow that he's gotten from you and how awesome it is he, he quite oh, yeah, frequently he, reminds me reminds got me about one of the best ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's an incredible gecko um wow and you yep. know there is a there is an issue today though because you know there are people that are working on these green greenish hued tangerines and you know they're confused about what to call and some of them aren't even fully green like uh some of them have these projects have gone in different directions. Like, for instance, Matt has his, green, his G project, and, uh, you know, Ron's got the m You've got the Sykes m um, You know, I, I have geckos here that are have greenish hues. I have some from Thad from Ohio Gecko. They're green tangerines. I have some of Ron's line. I have some of these other ones that I've been working on that came from M-Marines, but they're no longer showing that m look. They're actually – I'm working on them in the albino form where I'm producing these these really beautiful lavender colorations, and I don't know, know if I should continue to call them emeryns. And a lot of people out there are, are having these same issues with certain emeryn lines where they've kind of gone in a different direction. They're no longer really looking like a traditional emeryn, and mm-hmm. they're saying, they're confused, all right, well, what do I call it now? Do I still call it an emeryn? Because it doesn't look like, you know, the other emeryns that are out there. And so that's the dilemma now, and I can ask you this. A lot of people out there, Steve, are uh, reluctant to put their own name on something, and they're 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 worried about well, when is the right time? How long, how many years do I have to be working on a project for me to feel comfortable with giving it my own name? And um, what do you think? What do you, what do you think about that? When when is it an appropriate time to name something that you're working on? That's tough, and and.
3: You know, it it really depends on what it is. I mean, if I was to call the the uh, the, Emmerines, you, know, the sham, sh, you know, the reverse you know, the reverse striped shamrock uh, morph or something like that, you know, I wouldn't <laughs> attach my name to it. You know, attaching my name to the emmerine was not meant to elevate my name. You know, it, it was meant to reduce confusion. Um, right. So, you know, I, I mean, we'll, we'll come out with other bloodlines in the future, and, and, you know, we're not necessarily going to attach the Sykes name to them because it's not necessarily needed. Um, so it, it, it really depends. I mean, if, it, it's, it's all about, you know, naming something. It's all about having something that's truly unique and truly different, and it, it, you know, breeders shouldn't be breeding things for, you know, one generation, two generations, and then say, okay, I got something I can call my own. Um, you know, that's when, uh, that's just not, in my opinion, that's not appropriate. Um, but if you put, you know, years and years and years of work um, into a morph and you've created something that's definitely different and definitely unique, uh, you know, genetically but also in appearance, um, you know, then it's 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 worthy of being called something special. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Some people like to think that they, they can play it safe. And I, I kind of agree with this idea they could play it safe by calling by naming a project so if you have something that's a little different but it's not fully recognizable as it's standalone you can you can say it's a work in progress and call it well this is my such and such such project and uh, I I mean I kind of agree with that in a sense because at least you're you're not saying oh well I got a new morph here what do you think and I'm calling it this right but you know there are there are people out there doing that too which it doesn't confuse us, like, um, more seasoned keepers, but it confuses the new people. And, and sometimes I mm-hmm. get people, you know, emailing me or messaging me, Dave, what is a, a you know, a super snow whatever, a super sunspot whatever? And I'm like, I never even heard of that. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> oh, so-and-so's you know, so got this thing. And I'm like, oh. And then you're putting a position, well, you don't want to talk bad about the other person, but at the same time you want to right. try to warn this you know, the new person, well, you know, I wouldn't necessarily invest a lot of money in those because, you know, but it, you're put in a tough spot. And, uh, right. you know, I try, but what do you do in those situations? I'm sure you're, you're like me where you get a ton of messages and questions from people. Um, you know, I, I guess it's kind of hard to, to walk the line, so to speak, and take the high road all the time. Um, do you find it difficult sometimes with, with certain questions from people?
3: Definitely. I mean, I get I get questions of, you know, I, someone just offered me these geckos. Do you think it's a good deal? You know, mm-hmm. what do you think of this morph? You know, or uh, that a specific, I you mean, know, if someone asks me, what do you think of eclipses, I can answer that. But if someone says, what do you think of this morph that, you know, someone's producing that's kind of a, I don't necessarily believe to be a real morph, like kind of in the, you know, what you were referring to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just I have to answer with you know. Sorry, I can't answer. I can answer plenty of questions about my geckos, but I can't necessarily answer questions about other people's geckos. And
2: that's a good you know, way. To, get,
3: we, that's a good way to diffuse it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I get pricing I'm questions. Steal that one. <laughs> You're welcome to use it. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, you know, during the week, Steve, we were talking a little bit about Halloween masks, and um, yeah, well, it's it's it, it can and, and you know it does have its following. Uh, I think in mm-hmm. some cases it's a little underrated. Um, Definitely. Now you, Definitely underrated. Yeah. See, you were telling me that you got your Halloween masks from from the people that have been working on the pure line, which is the sought after line of Halloween masks. Um, yep. You know, today anything with a bold head pattern, you know, some of the shady guys will just call it a Halloween mask, and that causes, it, causes some confusion out there. But if you're actually seeking pure good Halloween masks. You know, Steve certainly has them. Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about the ones that you're working on? Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, we're
3: working with Halloween masks. So We've been working on them for a few years now. Um, project kind of started off slowly, but then we bought a bunch more. Um, when uh, Brittany Goodgen was getting out of Geckos, um, we bought a lot of the, the ones that she had available at that time. So we kind of got a, a kickstart uh, or a jumpstart, I guess. We, we'd been going for a little while before then. But... Anyway, um, you know, we, as I said, you know, before, when I get a new morph, I'm not necessarily happy with it, and that was certainly Halloween masks certainly fit that. Um, you know, some of them it can be a little small. Um, the The patterns are on the head are not necessarily um, perfect. You know, in my opinion, of what a Halloween mask looks like, so it, it kind of was a, it was a morph I wanted to add. Some more years of line breeding too before I was happy with it, and, and you know kind of I wanted to push it in the direction that I felt it should go, um, and so that's what we've done. You know we focused on, um, you know picking the best ones. I mean what, what we do, you know we, we we hatch a lot of geckos, and I like to raise things up and and uh, get it to a size where I can really see their true potential, and so you know with Halloween masks we, we hatch them out and then we you know we grow them up and see what their head patterns are going to look like, you know, look at their body conformation and everything and, and then make our selection on the breeders that we want to use for the next generation. And, you know, uh, it was, it's, it's been nice and that we, we've hatched a bunch of them and, and we have a lot to draw from. Um, you know, we've kind of, we've focused on producing, you know, the really bold patterns, but also trying to get those eye spots on there as well to really get you know something that looks like the morph definition of a, of a mask, you know, a Halloween mask it's Been a fun project to work with.
1: Yes, and um, do you find that there's a demand for them right now? Do you think the, do you think people are starting to to catch the bug for them, so to speak?
3: Definitely. I mean, there there's a. I definitely agree that they're underrated. Um, I also haven't had too many to offer on my website. I have some males there, but I haven't had too many females to offer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we'll be posting some females to the website pretty soon. Um, but definitely, it's a morph that's underrated. You know, people are are you know working on their white and yellow projects and radars and you know, tangerines and all that. And, um, you know, certainly there's there's a following for Halloween masks, um, you know, as we start to produce more really cool ones and start to have more of them available, you know, I think they will certainly be, uh, you know, more people will, will jump into that project.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I definitely see myself getting a, a nice mail from you at some point for next season.
3: Definitely. Uh, so Sounds good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, good luck with that particular project. I'm sure you're going to do great with it this year. Um, well, Steve, yeah, we're getting towards the end of the show, and I think a good, good topic to end our discussion with tonight is Godzilla. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you have planned
2: with Godzilla? Sure, I know you had something,
1: well, something cool to talk about. So with him,
2: definitely. So yeah.
1: It.
3: All right, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, for people who mm-hmm. don't know, um, Godzilla is the largest leopard gecko in the world. We hatched him in 2007. Um, and his heaviest weight, which was, you know, right before we started him breeding, um, he was 170 grams. You know, since then, he's been below that weight, just been working on breeding with the females or uh, recovering from breeding and, you know, and cooling and all that. So he's never surpassed the 170-gram weight. Um, but anyway, he's, he's been, you know, the, the, the rock of our uh, collection in terms of our giants. And we've, we've created a lot of fantastic and huge animals out of him. And we just uh you know we, we every year I've bred him and i mean he's still alive now, he's still doing fine, but um he uh every, you know we're always trying to to go for the next step up and uh you know he we uh bred him last year to some really really big females, and uh you know we have one in particular that i'm I'm really hoping is uh gonna surpass godzilla's record um and i i can uh I can share his weight now. Um, he's, he's, uh, 145 grams at just 10 months old, and that's when of Oh my god! Signs. So, wow. we're, we're, you know, we're not announcing him yet in terms of, you know, thinking he'll be bigger, but he's certainly, he's actually on a bigger, uh, he's on a better trajectory to beat Godzilla's weight than Godzilla. So he's bigger than Godzilla was at Godzilla's age, um, at, at 10 months old. So, um, anyway... Certainly, and, it's, and what's cool as well is that he's het for albino. So we're not just laughing. Wow. We can, you know, we can, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's, oh, he's, he is het for albino. I'm sorry. He's, so from I bred Godzilla to a um, female, uh, normal het albino super giant. Uh, so anyway, this one is, this particular one is, is non-albino. Um, so anyway, that will be, that will be cool. Ron must that. be
1: getting a little jealous, I think, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's Giants are, are certainly fantastic. You know, I'm sure Ron has loved working with them. Uh, you know, like you as told, as told me that you guys
1: are friends. I'm, I'm just jesting, but, yeah, you told me you guys are friends and all. <laughs> certainly, certainly I, I'm very grateful for Ron for,
3: you know, being uh, wise enough to, to observe the, the giant. you know, even before it was a giant. You know, he was the one that was mm-hmm. smart enough to realize that, that he had something very special in his collection and proved it out mm-hmm. and, and certainly proved it out to be a, a, a gene that's that's loved by all. Yes,
1: definitely. Well, I wish you had a lot of luck with that, too. I hope someday that we can have geckos that are, well, the size of my chihuahua, at least. She's about five pounds. That would be so cool <laughs> to have a leopard gecko that big. Um, well, if anybody's going to yeah. do it, it's going to be from your line, I guess. So um, well, that'll, be, that'll be really uh, cool. Yeah. Well, Steve, we're, at, we're coming to the end of the show. And I, at this time, I'd like to, uh, give you a chance to, to leave our audience with some closer remarks and also, um, to, uh, to let them know, give them your information. Uh, so of course that they can find you. Sure.
3: Well, again, my name is Steve Sykes. Um, our website is geckos, geckosetc.com. com. Um, you know, we're posting all kinds of new animals there every day. Uh, or try to get them up every day, but it doesn't always work out that way. But we're posting new stuff every week. Um, So it, it it changes very often with new stuff. Uh, And certainly if anyone's looking for anything in particular, let us know. We do have more animals available than what's our, what are listed on the website. Um, We can do a search through our collection and see what we have and, and uh, show you some pictures. But certainly I, I just want to thank every, I want to thank everyone, you know, for, for, uh, their support over the years I want to thank you Dave for having me on your show certainly it's been a great time You're welcome. and, and uh, very well if you if you ever want to have me back I'll, I'll certainly take you up on that offer but uh, You're, yeah it's you have uh, an open I, invitation been... Steve. great well thank you yeah it's uh it's been good so great well thank you
1: cool cool all right it was a great interview and uh, definitely we'll we'll definitely uh, correspond again in the future and uh, uh, thanks again so much and Good luck on everything for the 2014 season.
3: You too. Thanks again.
1: Awesome. All right. Good night, Steve.
3: Okay. Bye. All
1: All right, folks. Wow, Steve. Uh, Steve gave a great interview tonight. Um, wow, he was on a roll. I, I'm really, I'm really feeling great about our discussion, uh, the topics we covered. Just, uh, I, I feel that we could have definitely done another uh, few hours and. Uh, We should definitely do a part two in the future with him, and I'll try to set that up for everybody. Um, Well, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do the outro plug, and I will come back with with my uh, closing remarks, and I'm definitely going to play a cool song on the way out tonight. Check this out.
0: Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays or assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org.
1: Okay, everybody. Uh, I'm still feeling great about this episode, and uh, my closing remarks are this. Um, you've heard it from Steve. You guys can follow his work. You see, you can see exactly exactly what he's done with his with his hobby and his passion. He's able. He was. He has been able to take it up to the to the level where he is now, which is incredible. Now, keep in mind, heed his advice, everyone. This is not for everyone. So, um, if you're feeling that your collection is getting too large and uh, you're getting overwhelmed that's the point where you have to recognize that, all right, well, I need to slow down a little bit. I don't want to get to the point where the animals aren't being properly cared for, okay? That's the most important thing because sometimes, uh, you know, we have these ideas, well, I'll just keep breeding more and more animals and I'll make more and more money, but it doesn't work that way because, you know, the more animals you breed, the more electricity you're going to be using, the more food you're going to need. And if you're not, you know, business savvy, if you don't have that, Education for business to be able to uh, organize yourself and uh, definitely consolidate all your your expenses and stuff and actually have a business model and plan. Uh, you're going to have trouble. Take it slow. Have fun. If it's a, if it's a hobby for you, keep it a hobby, and uh, you know just try to do it the right way. And remember, you're not selling toys or inanimate objects. You're selling and breeding living, breathing, conscious life forms. Okay, just like you. Have respect have respect for them folks and enjoy it. All right. Um another great show. And uh, I just want to thank everybody in the chat room and of course everyone in Gecko Nation group. You guys are great. Everyone that wished me a happy birthday today. Thank you so much. This was this show was uh just the topping on the cake for my birthday. Just a great cherry on top. So good night everybody. Until next time.